I've been here at Jerusalem Church for coming up on three years in June, and uh, I need to get something off my chest. I think this is the appropriate time to say this, uh, but you have the best pastor. You have the best pastor. It's true. Yes, you can applaud. You don't even know how good your pastor is. He's selfless, he's loving, he's courageous, he's wise, he's good, he's patient, he's kind, he's strong, he's admirable, he's honorable. You know, I cannot say enough about your pastor. Everything I would say would fall short. He's humble. <laughs> Now, you might be thinking, you self-absorbed, narcissistic clown. you got to get off of yourself, man. And, uh, or maybe you're thinking, what's he talking about? Because I, I, I know he's not talking about himself. So, answer this question. Who is your pastor? Who is your pastor? Before knowing who your pastor is, you need to know what a pastor is. Pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. Like a shepherd tends his sheep, a pastor loves God's people, leads God's people, watches over God's people, protects God's people, feeds God's people, comforts God's people, and cares for God's people. Who is your pastor? Maybe you would say, I'm your pastor. Mm, yes, but that's only partly true because then all the other stuff I just said would not be true. So, who is your pastor? Consider what God has to say about this, and then let's ask the question again. Here's John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd, or in Latin, ego sum pastor bonus. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Who is the good pastor? John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Who is the good pastor? John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Who is that one pastor? Hebrews 13, 20, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Who is the great pastor that loves God's people? 1 Peter 2.25, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. Who is the pastor that oversees your souls? One more. In 1 Peter 5.4, Peter uses the term chief shepherd. That means that there is a pastor that outranks every other pastor. There is a supreme pastor. There is the number one ranking pastor. There is a pastor that has complete supremacy over all of the church, every church, and everything. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus Christ, the Messiah and Son of God, is the chief shepherd or pastor. Who is your pastor? Follower of Jesus, Jesus is your pastor. He loves you, leads you, watches over you, protects you, feeds you, comforts you, and cares for you. No pastor can pastor you like the chief pastor. If, if you want to get anything right in life, my friends, you've got to get that. You've got to get that right. 
Jesus must be your supreme pastor. And you need to understand how he pastors you, and you need to understand how you as his sheep are to respond to his pastoring. The end of John 21 is going to show you a a, a great picture of God's grace. It will show you what kind of pastor Jesus really is. How does your pastor love you? Well, Jesus loves you in countless ways. Can we even list them all? I mean, I can't say everything. His life, his death, his resurrection, his his promises to you. The, The greatest way that Jesus loves us is to give us God. But here are four specific ways that your pastor Jesus loves you. Just just four of them. He humbles you. He forgives you. He commissions under shepherds over you for your good. And he feeds and cares for you through his under shepherds. Number one, he humbles you. Your pastor loves you by humbling you. Didn't Peter deny Jesus at a charcoal fire in the high priest's courtyard? Remember that? By a charcoal fire. Well, what did the disciples notice on the beach, Lake Tiberias, when they got off the boat? They saw Jesus cooking fish on a charcoal fire. Right there was Peter. I want you to quickly scan down so it's helpful if you you keep your Bibles open to this passage, John 21. Quickly scan down through verses 15 through 17 again. What was Jesus doing in this interchange with Peter? He was lovingly humbling Peter. He was connecting Peter and the other six disciples who knew about Peter's denials He was connecting them all back to Peter's three denials at a charcoal fire. And now at this charcoal fire, Jesus was drawing out the love that Peter had for him. Now, Jesus used a different Greek word than what Peter used in this passage. And so some scholars make a really big deal about that. However, through the book of John, the two words for love, agapao and phileo, are used oftentimes interchangeably. So there's probably not really a big difference. I don't make a a huge difference between these two terms. Jesus was asking Peter if he deeply loved him. That was at the essence of it, and Peter was responding in kind, yes, Jesus, I do deeply love you. When Jesus asked Peter the third time, Peter responded with grief. He grieved. He finally said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know. Jesus knew. Jesus knew Peter's heart, but he wanted Peter to confess his love for him three times. That was significant, the three. And Jesus wanted to tell Peter what to do because of his evident love for him. It's very humbling. Something else was going on here. Back in the upper room, In front of the other disciples, Peter had told Jesus this, I, I will lay my life down for you. That's bold. I mean, that is a bold word. It wasn't, we will lay down our lives for you. It was I. He just kind of looked over the rest put himself at the front. Peter made much of himself to Jesus in front of all the other disciples. Now, 
at this charcoal fire, Jesus singled out Peter and the other disciples were listening. Do you love me more than these? What a question. And I take Jesus to mean, do you love me, Peter, more than these other six disciples love me? Do you see what he's doing? This is incredible. And notice Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter was emphatic with that, yes, yes. But notice he left something off, more than these. More than these. Maybe Peter would have added more than these back in the upper room earlier, but he didn't add it here. Peter was humbled by this interchange. When God humbles you, it shows that he loves you because when he tears you, he heals you. When he strikes you down, he nurses you. It was Peter who wrote, God gives grace to the humble. Want to experience the love and care of God in a deep, deep way? Get low. Get low. Humble yourself. Be humble. There is so much grace for you if you get low. How does your pastor Jesus love you? Number two, he forgives you. He forgives you. Every single one of those six disciples had bailed on Jesus at a critical time. They scattered. Peter even denied him, yet Jesus came to them again. He affectionately called them children. He gave them 153 fish, and he cooked and served them a hot breakfast. Jesus loved them, and Jesus forgave them, even Peter, after he did what he did. Husbands, do you treat your wives like this when she comes after you? You know what I'm saying. Wives, loving kindness shows forgiveness, doesn't it? Jesus told Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's pastoral ministry. Peter was definitely forgiven because Jesus was calling Peter to pastoral ministry. In verses 19 and 22, Jesus called Peter to follow him. Jesus still wanted Peter. He still wanted him. He didn't ostracize Peter as a complete failure because he denied him three times. He wanted Peter, and in fact, he went a step further. He wanted Peter to represent him in pastoral ministry. Even the death of Peter, which Jesus prophesied in verse 18, shows that Peter was forgiven and restored. Look at verse 18 again. Apparently in the ancient world, the phrase, stretch out your hands, commonly referred to crucifixion. Early Christian tradition suggests that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. We don't know that for sure, but that's what's suggested. Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, you're going to be killed. You're going to be a martyr. Peter's death was part of God's sovereign plan. He would stretch out his hands and he would suffer and go to an undesirable death. Peter served Christ after knowing how he was going to die, likely by crucifixion. Now, how does one do that? How do do you get through the rest of your life knowing that information? My dad does not like driving over high bridges. He hasn't for many years. Dad, I cleared this with you, so this is cool. A lot of fun places exist over high bridges on the other side. So, growing up, Dad had to get us across high bridges. And he did it. 
He's still here every time my dad came through and got us across. But he would lean front and he would white knuckle the steering wheel. And he would oftentimes get in the center lane if he could. And, uh, and he just kept it moving, right? Keep it moving. And he always got us across. And so Chris and I know this. And so sometimes when we sit in the front, we'll just uh, gently reach over to the steering wheel and take a little bit of it and start just, just turning it a little towards the edge of the bridge. Just a little bit because you don't want to like, yeah, then we will go off the edge of the bridge. But dad, dad never really liked that that much. But, um, <laughs> but I have to say, Chris would, would attest to that it still was a lot of fun, even though my dad was just... Now, imagine, it's a little bit more sobering, but imagine God telling my dad that in several years he was going to die in a horrific and violent car crash off the side of a bridge. It would not be easy to live knowing that. Not at all. Peter served Christ as a missionary and as a pastor knowing he would die as a martyr for Christ. Now, here's how Peter was able to do it. And you've got to really put on your thinking caps here. You have to read verse 19 very closely. And you need to read it as someone who deeply loves God. Because if you don't deeply love God, this probably won't make sense to you. Verse 19. This he said, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter's martyrdom would magnify the greatness of God. From dishonoring Christ by denying him three times to glorifying God by dying for Christ. That's what God's forgiveness can do in people's lives. Do you know what Psalm 116 verse 15 says? It says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Does that make sense to you? I think Peter could confidently face his inevitable martyrdom and serve Christ boldly in pastoral ministry because he was forgiven. Because he trusted in God's sovereign plan for him. And because Jesus had told him this, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Peter made it because Jesus walked with him through it. So let me ask you a question. Are you scared to die? Follower of Jesus, you have no need to fear death because you are forgiven by God. Being forgiven by God will change your life and it will change your death. Watch how people who are forgiven by God die. Watch how they die. It's unique. There's something different. It's different than the people who die in the world without any hope. You can just sense the glory of God in their death. Peter was no superstar. You need to get that straight. He was just like you. He was just like me. But Peter was forgiven by God. How blessed we are to be forgiven by God through Christ. How does your pastor Jesus love you? Number three. He commissions under-shepherds over you for your good. It is imperative that you see Jesus Christ as your senior pastor. Essential. 
But Jesus also appoints other pastors under his authority to care for his sheep, to care for you. Look at verses 15 through 17 again. Jesus was not talking about literal sheep. He didn't have sheep running around on the beach of Lake Tiberias, and he's like, Peter, go, go take care of my sheep. He, wasn't, he was using metaphor. You have to interpret John 21 in light of what we studied a while back in John 10, where Jesus is the good shepherd and believers are his loved and cared for sheep. To whom do the sheep belong? Do they belong to Peter? No, no, no. They, be, they belong to Christ, the chief shepherd. Feed my lambs, he said. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. The sheep belong to Jesus. When Jesus told Peter to feed and tend his sheep, he was commissioning Peter as an under-shepherd or as an earthly pastor and giving Peter the responsibility to care for his sheep, which is good for the sheep. It's good for the sheep to have pastors over them. The sheep need pastors. Why else would Jesus tell Peter to shepherd his sheep if the sheep didn't need a shepherd? But be careful with these verses. Please listen. This has nothing to do with Peter becoming the first pope or the vicar of Christ on earth. The Roman Catholic Church teaches, uh, they, they actually use John 21 along with Matthew 16 to teach that Jesus was making Peter the vicar of Christ. A vicar is someone who takes the place of another and takes on their power and authority. It is blasphemous to suggest that Peter was the vicar of Christ when the Bible so plainly teaches that the Holy Spirit is the vicar of Christ. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit in his place to live in Christians and to pastor them from within. Jesus simply made Peter an under-shepherd or a pastor, among others, not the only one, to care for his people. What Jesus was doing was commissioning Peter as an under-shepherd. And guess what? Peter believed this. Peter believed this. Peter wrote to Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire. In 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, he exhorted the elders in those places that he was writing to, and he referred to himself as a fellow elder. So he recognized that there was a plurality of elders in which he was one. Then he told those elders, quote, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Peter recognized that God gave the responsibility of shepherding and oversight to a plurality of elders. Those elders were to shepherd the people God gave them, but Peter also referred to Jesus as the chief shepherd. So everybody knows who the top dog is. It's Jesus. Every shepherd elder is beneath the chief shepherd elder. Here's what I'm getting at. How does Jesus, the chief shepherd, practically care for you? He happens to be at the right hand of God the Father. He's not here in the flesh anymore. So how is Jesus, your pastor, going to pastor you? One huge and unmistakable way is he appoints under-shepherds 
to pastor you for your good. Right now, God has given you five under-shepherds or five pastors to care for your soul. Doug Hall, Tim Nichols, Chris Shirk, Tim Thompson, and I have been set apart by God to shepherd you. In one sense, yes, I am absolutely your pastor in a unique way. I don't want to confuse you with that, and, and I hope you're following me here. Uh, but please realize that though God has appointed me as the preaching pastor, you have four other pastors or shepherds or elders who are here to help you grow in the Lord. It's the plurality of elders. It's what you see in the scripture. It is what God's plan is for our church. Jesus gives multiple elders the responsibility to care for you. And so we have leading elders here for your greatest good. You have to know that. It's for your good. Let me support that even more. In Acts 20, Paul addressed the elders at a church. And it was the church at Ephesus. And it would be like... Paul gathering the five elders of our church and having some words for us. And this is what he said to them. In verses 28 through 30, he said this to the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, or you could say shepherd, or you could say pastor, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. It's not just you and Jesus. It's not just, I'll stay home and just be with Jesus this morning. That's not what this is about. The Holy Spirit makes certain qualified men, overseers of the flock, to care for Christ's church. Putting elders over you to care for your soul is part of how Jesus loves you. Why does the flock need overseers? Because inside of all of us, come on, be honest with yourself. It's inside of me, it's inside of you. There's something that kicks against authority over us. Amen? I feel that sometimes. Acts 20, 29 through 30 explains why the sheep need shepherds. I know that after my departure, Paul is speaking here, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Wolves come in and eat the sheep. Why do you need shepherds to ward off and protect you from bad teachers who lead you away from Jesus, your chief shepherd, Bad teaching in the church has devastating and long-term effects on the sheep. Please understand why at this church, biblical truth is a core value. We live and die by biblical truth. Your elders love you, and your elders want you to eat, to eat. This is really close to my heart because I have seen the devastating effects of bad pastors who feed garbage to their sheep and their sheep are spiritually sick and wasting away. And they continue to just speak out lies and garbage that mislead the sheep. Your shepherds here are working together to feed you, to feed you well so that you can be well. 
So how does your senior pastor Jesus loves you, love you? Number four, he feeds and cares for you through his under-shepherds. Have you ever thought of it like that before? Jesus loves you through pastors. Because Peter loved Jesus, Jesus told Peter he was to do three things for his sheep. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's pastoral ministry. So let's look at these. Number one, feed my lambs and sheep. It's the same thing in verse 15 and 17. Feed is repeated twice. So I tend to think there's some weight to that one because it's repeated. The word feed means to, to take the sheep out to the pasture and to let them graze and to let them eat. Nourishment. Lambs or sheep is metaphorical and so is the verb feed. Peter was told to nourish God's people Well, what do God's people need to feed on? What nourishes them? The Bible addresses this. Jeremiah 3, verse 15. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. In Ezekiel 3, God wanted Ezekiel, this is kind of interesting, to eat a scroll. To eat a scroll. What's written on that scroll? You get the idea. Ezekiel was to fill his belly, it says, with this scroll. And Ezekiel did. And he said that it was sweet as honey in his mouth. And God told him then, quote, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Eat, Ezekiel. Eat my words and then go and tell them my words. Feed them my words. In Matthew 4, 4, when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and he told Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's big. That is huge. Jesus meant that you, dear sheep, you can't live on bread alone. Bread's not going to sustain your life. You need something more in addition to just physical sustenance. You need spiritual sustenance, and that comes from the Word of God. Life is fueled by the Word of God. So let's bring this together. Jesus was introducing, I'm sorry, he was instructing Peter to give his sheep, to give his people the Word of God, which would nourish their souls and give them life. Jesus feeds his sheep through the Bible. Therefore, Jesus loves and shepherds you through pastors who preach and teach the word of God to you for your spiritual nourishment, for your growth, for your good. Yes, you need to nourish your soul by studying the Bible on your own. Absolutely. And you need to do it regularly. You need to eat that spiritual nourishment yourself as you study God's word. But God certainly gives you under shepherds to preach and teach the word of God, which nourishes your soul. So you are, get this, so you are spiritually fat and happy sheep. Now be honest with you. Be honest with yourself, rather. Are you taking full advantage of of the love that God has for you through the preaching and teaching ministry of this church. The preaching and teaching ministry of this church is aimed, it's aimed directly at helping you become fat and happy. 
So I just wonder, are you eating? And I need to mention the Lord's Supper as well, which is a visible proclamation of the gospel. We must eat it and be satisfied by Christ, and he grows us through that. There's more. Jesus also told Peter, number two, tend my sheep. That's what Jesus wanted Peter to do, to lead, to guide, to to care for. That's pastoral ministry. We all need spiritual oversight and leadership. Let me say it again. We all need spiritual oversight and leadership. We need people watching over our souls, caring for us, encouraging us, protecting us. Even the under-shepherds need that because we can never forget that the under-shepherds are sheep. And so the under-shepherds come around and we shepherd each other and we are under the authority of each other. We answer to each other. Jesus is the good shepherd who feeds you and cares for you, but in many ways he does that through under-shepherds and that's what Jesus was telling Peter. Was Peter perfect? Three denials. There's your answer. Did Peter love Jesus? Absolutely. And that's, what Pe- that's why Peter, for the rest of his life, was such a good pastor and missionary, a great preacher, great teacher, great carer for the sheep. Sometime this week, check out Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. It talks about Jesus giving shepherds and teachers to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's all of God's people. And to help them reach spiritual maturity in Christ. So you got to hear this. This is so practical for our church. This is our leadership paradigm, Jerusalem. Our elders are shepherds. Never perfect. We fail frequently. But we are in love with Jesus and we're ready to serve you. We're ready to lead you. We're ready to care for you. One of the essential ways to really grow spiritually, this is for you, if you really want to grow spiritually, one of the essential ways is to put yourself beneath the leadership of good, yet imperfect, under-shepherds, and follow them with discernment. That last part, if you leave that off, we have a cult, okay? You follow them with discernment. You test their ministry against the word of God, You follow them as much as God calls you to follow them. Discernment. I I think in verse 19, when Jesus said, follow me to Peter, it meant two things. First, he wanted to walk with Peter. They left the others. And second, he was calling Peter to spiritually follow him in everything. He was calling him to discipleship once again. Look again at verses 20 through 23. When Peter realized that John was trailing them, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So Peter had just heard about his own death, and I guess he was somewhat curious about the fate of John. So he asked Jesus about that. I think he deeply loved John. I think he was curious. I think he cared. And, uh, but did Peter really process what Jesus had just said? Follow me. Did that sink in, or did he just move on to notice John following them? It seemed that he pretty quickly turned to see John, so maybe that didn't sink in. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. That was like saying, Peter, don't 
don't worry about John's faith. That's none of your business. You, Peter, follow me. You focus your life on following me. So if you look at verse 22, you're going to see a lot of theology in a short verse. Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain or that he keep living until Jesus returns. If John was meant to remain alive until Jesus returned, it would be the sovereign will of Jesus that kept John alive. Is that not what Jesus is getting at? Life and death is up to Jesus. When Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power, I take that to include all human life. Jesus sustains life. You and I are alive right now. Heart beating, lungs expanding, because Jesus commands us to live. Well, Jesus was misunderstood, sadly, and a rumor began to spread that John wasn't going to die. And uh, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus emphasized his will and emphasized Peter following him. And John wanted to clarify this for his readers. He wanted to make sure that, that they got it. And so he wrote this little part to preserve biblical accuracy. Because what if people would say that Jesus said that John would never die and then John died? Do you see that? And so he's clarifying this. And John actually did die probably around A.D. 100. Preserves biblical accuracy, John's writing. Before we look at the last two verses of John and before we close out this series, let me ask the question, how should you love your pastor? Well, there are so many ways that you should love your pastor, Jesus. So many ways, but here are four implications from these these few verses. Number one, say that you love Jesus. Uh, Jesus knew Peter's heart, but he wanted Peter to say it, to express his love three times, and Peter did. Proclaiming your love for Jesus, I think, is important. I think your mouth has to say it. Jesus, I love Jesus. I adore Jesus. You can sing it. And Peter did that in front of the other disciples. God knows your heart. He knows your heart, and so you might say, I don't really have to say it. God knows. No, 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 no. He wants you to say it too, I think. Proclaim your love for him. Number two, follow him no matter what. Follow him no matter what. Peter knew that there was a cost to following Jesus. He was going to die because of Jesus, but Peter's objective was clear. You follow me, Peter. You follow me. Follow me. Follow me, Peter. That's your objective. And, and I just want you to know, following Jesus is not easy. You don't come to Jesus and everything works out great. You get that promotion. You get that car. You, your family's perfect. They all look amazing and act amazing and your kids have halos. And it just doesn't, it's not like that. But it does mean that eternity forever with Jesus is glorious. It's glorious. It's worth it. Number three, be fed and shepherded by his commissioned under shepherds. You show love for Jesus when you hunger to be fed his word. You show love for Jesus when you welcome spiritual leadership and oversight in your life. That shows you're ready to grow. Imagine if your mom or your spouse or some good friend that's a really good cook uh, made you a delicious seven-course meal, and when you sat down at the table to enjoy the seven-course meal, you, you, you told them, I'm just not really into eating your cooking right now. I don't think I'm going to eat anything. You defend the cook, okay? Now, be careful how you apply this. 
You honor God, God, when you crave and devour the feast that he lays before you in his word. That's what I'm talking about. You also honor God when you respond to the spiritual leaders he places in your life. They may not be perfect spiritual leaders. Of course they're not. But anarchy is never good for the church. It's never good for you. So what choice do you have? The biblical model of leadership or none at all? And then you're really going to be in for it. Find a church that has godly elders. Get in that church and learn from them. Number four. I should say that. I should add in. I think this is one of those churches. So you can stay put. All right, there we go. Got that. There we go. And if you're not a member here, we'd love to have you become a member because this, I think, is an imperfect, you know, one of those places that needs God's grace every day, but we have good leaders that are really striving to lead you to eat well. Four, live and die for the glory of God. Peter lived and died for the glory of God. It's simple. The Christian life is all about magnifying God. You love Jesus when you live to make God look awesome. And when death comes for you, love Jesus by dying in a way that makes God look awesome. Too many people live and die for themselves. You can live and die for the glory of God. If you do all four of these things, you'll be loving your pastor Jesus. And let me add this. If you do these four things with all of your heart, you'll be loving me and you'll be loving the other elders as well. Because this is our heart for you. This is what we want for all of us. So here's why your pastor is awesome. I hope you looked at that and was like, man, this guy. I was supposed to be somewhat provocative, but I heard someone say Jesus, so you knew where I was going. Your pastor, Jesus Christ, is awesome because he is more for you and does more for you than you can imagine. He is always there for you to pastor you by his spirit and his word. There is no pastor like our pastor, God The the last two verses show how awesome your pastor Jesus really is. He did so many awesome things that John couldn't write them all down. John wrote true things that many others agreed with at the time of publication, but John's gospel is just a drop in the bucket of the awesomeness, the, the infinite awesomeness of Jesus Christ, your pastor and my pastor You might be surprised to know that the Bible is not an all-inclusive record of everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus said. He did more. He did much more. In fact, Jesus Christ is more than what the Bible says, but he's not one word less. Jesus is awesome. The Bible is God's condescension to us. He had to put it in helpful, gentle language that we'd understand. The Bible is his self-revelation in a way that we can actually handle Right? And someday, praise God, we will see him face to face and explore his awesomeness forever. This entire series, folks, as I close it down right now, has been aimed somewhere. It's been aimed, it's been an effort to display for you the awesomeness of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and the chief shepherd of your souls. And it's been a call for you to believe for you to believe, for you to trust Christ and live. To trust Christ and live like you've never lived before, to live forever. So let me end this series with the words of Jesus as a summary of the entire series. So this is for you, dear church, as we close it up. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life.
Father, thank you so much for your clear word. Thank you for this uh, wonderful series in John where we, week after week, we're, we're just able to hear your word speaking to us, to see you reveal yourself to us, and I pray that you will help our people to treasure Christ above all things, to hear and believe, and in believing, to have life in the name of our great pastor, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.